Hey, I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Ashley. And you're listening to All Bodies, All Foods, presented by the Renfrew Center for Eating Disorders. We want to create a space for all bodies to come together authentically and purposefully to discuss various areas that impact us on a cultural and relational level. We believe that all bodies and all foods are welcome. We would love for you to join us on this journey. Let's learn together. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of All Bodies, All Foods. Ashley and Sam are here. And um, Sam, can you believe we're already in season four of our podcast? Not really. It's hard to believe. <laughs> this. These seasons have really, oh my gosh, everything just went by so quickly. But here oh, we are. Here and we, we are. have more to say. <laughs> we do. We have more to say and more to learn and all of the above. And, yes. More to um, say, more to learn. There's more yeah. to come. You all, thank you so much for joining us again. We This has truly been um, just such a privilege for Sam and myself to be on the show with you all and um, really to interview some of the coolest people and just um, connect with both our audience and um, with these professionals or alum in the community that have wanted to share their story. So we just wanted to thank you all for that. And um, today... Sam and I wanted to come at you again. We, in season three, we started talking about higher levels of care. And what we realized in that episode is that we had a lot to say. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, we did. We had a lot to talk about. And so we got through just part of it. Um, Sam really detailed what it what it looks like to attend residential eating disorder treatment at the Renfrew Center. And today I was going to share with you about uh, PHP and IOP that, and, and I'll explain all of these acronyms and letters and everything, but so we wanted to continue that conversation. So part two of higher levels of care um, is what we're going to discuss today. How's that sound, Sam? That sounds great. And yeah, and if you haven't (laughs) listened already, go back and check out the residential level of care which is only one level in the whole scheme of things. And it's one of the highest levels. We have two sites, one in Philadelphia and one in Coconut Creek, where you can get residential treatment. But we have all these other levels of care all over the country. So we, we thought there must be so many people out there wondering, what are the levels of care? What is it like going there? What can I expect? And- We thought this would be a great opportunity to just go into more detail about what it's like programming at these levels. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll start us off if that's okay, just to even describe like and explain what we mean by levels of care. And I'm totally doing air quotes right now, y'all. So essentially, you know, if, if you're experiencing an eating disorder, disordered eating, anxiety, depression, you know. PTSD, all the above, any type of mental health thing that you might be experiencing, you might go see what we call an outpatient therapist. That might be somebody that you're connecting with once a week. Um, With eating disorder support specifically, what we notice is if you've been going to see a therapist once a week, perhaps you've even been seeing a dietitian once a week or maybe twice a month. Perhaps you've even been seeing a psychiatrist if you need help with some medicine management. Um, And what you are still finding is that you need more support. What you are still finding is that um, 
consuming food um, and managing your emotions is still challenging um that three meals a day is not happening for you that you you know your um anxiety level your depressive level any of those are, are kind of getting heightened when you think about food if you're experiencing that like you can't go to different activities that you used to enjoy going to without getting so tremendously anxious or maybe isolating feels better for you and so this one time of going to therapy per week is not enough, I guess we would say, that's when we might want to look into going into a higher level of care. Did that all make sense, Sam, what I was saying? Yeah. I Essentially, okay. I think if you are in outpatient treatment and you're not making progress yeah, and your whole yeah. team agrees that you're not yeah. making progress, or maybe you're working on, let's say you're working on trauma but your eating disorder is getting so much worse. Yeah. Or maybe you're working on your eating disorder, but your trauma symptoms are getting worse. You know, there's so many different things that might be happening that could be a sign that you would really benefit from more structure, more support that you can find in those higher levels. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's confusing because there are so many different higher levels of care and it's like an alphabet soup. And I think a lot of people don't even know what the acronyms are. I mean, I certainly no. didn't when I started. I'm like, whoa, yes. whoa, hold on. This is a lot. It's like OP, <laughs> PHP, IOP, date treatment. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So maybe we can just, let's go through the acronyms just so everyone knows what yeah. each thing means. So, you know, in our other episode, we talked about there's residential programming. That's like 24 seven structure and support and supervision to help you break that cycle, that eating disorder cycle. That's like one of the highest levels of care because you're living there. Right. And you might be there for a month, two months, or maybe even more working on your eating disorder. And then eventually you step down to a lower level. Residential is not even the highest. The highest would be inpatient care. That's sort of like if you land in a hospital and you're having some, you know, medical issues that need immediate attention, you might go into a hospital maybe for, I don't know, a few weeks, maybe more just to sort of stabilize those medical symptoms. So we have inpatient, also known as IP, that's at the highest, highest level, then Mm -hmm. residential, also known as res. Mm-hmm. And then as you step down, we get into the next one. So PHP, maybe Ashley, you can talk about what PHP means. And it also goes by other names, not just, yes. so that's <laughs> where it gets kind of tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So PHP stands for partial hospitalization program. What I like to tell people about PHP is that it's likely not at a hospital. Right. It, that's just the name, right? That's just the name. So we also call it day treatment. Um, so PHP day treatment, that's essentially five days a week. And I'll get into more details with these, but just to walk through the different levels. So PHP day treatment, that's five days a week from about eight to 2.30, eight to three, things like that, 8.30 to 2.30. Does it it depend on the site? Yeah, it just kind of depends on the site, when it starts, when it ends. And then IOP is the level below that. IOP stands for intensive outpatient. And programming. Programming, yes. Intensive outpatient programming. Right. So IOP tends to be three days a week and only three hours a day. Um, And it can be during the day. It can be in the evening. Again, it just kind of depends on 
what the site offers, but also what you need. Um, so like some sites might offer their IOP programming as an evening program from 5 to 8 p.m. Um, but if you need the day program, you can come during the day. So it just kind of depends on your needs. It's pretty flexible. Right. And then just to say, again, outpatient. So that's typically when you're seeing a therapist on your own once a week, but we also provide various outpatient groups. Um, and so that what that would mean is you come to one group one evening a week, typically, um, and you're just doing that after maybe you've completed IOP and you're doing the IOP or I'm sorry, you're doing the outpatient group and you're doing, you know, therapy with your outpatient therapist. So that's kind of mm. the breakdown of the different levels of care. What I'll say here is that when someone starts at res, um, if that's where somebody desperately needs that support, that structure, 24-7 care, the best thing to do if you can um, engage in this process, if you have the ability, um, the financial ability, um, the the time ability to do this, then we would want you to do PA or residential, then step down to PHP that five days a week care, then step down to IOP that three day a week care, then step into your outpatient group and going back to see your outpatient therapist. Does that all make sense, Sam? Yeah. I and mean, that's the ideal scenario. And I'm so glad yes. you brought up accessibility because there are so many factors that can get in yes. the way of someone being able to have access to those levels yeah. of care. But mm -hmm. ideally, um, you know, we like to think of the levels of care like a staircase. Yeah. And if you're at the very top of the staircase, that would be inpatient or residential treatment. Yeah. And not to say you can't skip steps, but it, it can be a little harder to go from the very top where you have 24-7 support, you have all these folks around you supporting you, not just the professionals, but the whole community, and then to try to jump the whole way down to the bottom of the staircase. Right. In my experience, I've seen folks, you know, that hasn't been the easiest experience. Yeah. And what can be really helpful is sort of developing a sense of mastery at each level of care. Like you feel like you're running out of ways to challenge yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the sign that it might be time to move on to a lower level where you have more free time, you have less supervision, you have less structure in your day and to see how you manage that. And then mastering each level before stepping down to the next. Right. And each level of care, you're going to have, you know, new challenges that you experience. But one of the things that Sam is touching on is that once you leave residential, you know, essentially you go back to your residence, you go back to your home, you your go home. back to yeah. kind of where you're stationed. And so then when you're able to do day treatment or PHP, which is five days a week, you're able to be with a peer support group. You're able to be with multiple therapists, with multiple dietitians. You're able to be around this supportive team um, for five days a week, essentially like I said, a school day, like six hours a day. That is so important, especially in eating disorder support and at Renfrew, because if you are doing day treatment with us, you are going to engage in both breakfast and lunch with us. 
in addition to like all sorts of groups, which I can talk about, but those are so important because we need to practice engaging in those meals and not using the behaviors. And Mm -hmm. so you're going to have the structure of having support with you, um, you know, essentially, like we said, from eight to two every single day. Um, and so I'll just, if, if you're up for it, I can just run through kind of what a day in the life of a day treatment individual might look like. So I'm curious. So if I, let's say I'm a new patient and it's my first day of day treatment, like I've never been to a program (laughs) before, like maybe I've gone to my therapist's office and that's about the extent of it. What can I expect? Like I'm walking in the door. What's next? Yeah. So that's a great question. And and I know one that honestly, a lot of our folks find themselves in um, never having done this before. That's so common to meet someone that's never done this before. So what you can expect is there's kind of, there is an orientation period. Um, we might walk you around the site, walk you around the center, show you the different rooms, show you the group rooms, show you the kitchen, kind of get you used to the layout of where things are. A tour. Which can be, yeah, a tour, yeah. which can be really nice. helpful. Yeah. Introduce you to some of the staff. And then we're going to start group. So every morning at all of our locations, we engage in a mindfulness activity. Um, And mindfulness at Renfrew, we practice being in the present. We don't judge ourselves or our thoughts. And we um, practice having simple awareness of what's going on in the moment. Mm -hmm. So we call it present focus, non-judgmental awareness. We want to be in the here and now. Um, And we really practice noticing what our emotional experience is in the moment and actively not trying to change it. So Mm -hmm. if it's your first day and your emotional experience is anxiety, um, perhaps feeling overwhelmed, nervousness, we're going to ask you to label those thoughts. Notice what you're experiencing in your body. Do you have butterflies in your stomach, right? Is your heart racing or your palms sweaty? And we're going to ask you what your urges are. Do you have the urge to leave? Do you have the urge to greet everybody and tell everybody your name? You know, Mm -hmm. what are your urges? And we're simply going to practice being there, Mm -hmm. being and existing in that space. And so Every day we have different mindfulness tools, different techniques that we teach. Um, So I myself actually started at the Renfrew Center about six years ago, and I was a primary therapist. So I started at the PHP and IOP level, um, actually at our site in Nashville, Tennessee, and I would lead people through the mindfulness activities and so We might notice just the sounds of the room. We might notice, then we might expand that and notice the sounds outside of the room. What do we hear? Do we hear the birds chirping? Do we hear the cars going by? Mm -hmm. And then we might bring that back in. What do we notice internally? Do we hear our heartbeats Um, and things like that? So we might Mm -hmm. notice sounds. We might um, listen to music and notice if that distracts us, if it helps us, if it connects us. We just simply notice practicing mindfulness again, is just really that present focus, non-judgmental awareness. We might use lotion and notice the scent of the lotion, notice how it feels to put that on our hands, Mm. um, all sorts of things. So various mindfulness techniques. And I'll say this about mindfulness. I love mindfulness. So I talk about it a lot, but, um, the goal is not to really erase your mind. I think sometimes we 
think that with mindfulness, but the goal is really mindfulness is a tool to connect us back to ourselves. So it's actually to acknowledge what is going on in our body. What are all the thoughts that might be racing? What is the, what is our experience that's happening, you know, internally? So, so we start with mindfulness and then we often leave as a group together and we go to breakfast. And so we engage in breakfast, you know, your therapist, your dietitian may be in there. Well, they will be in there. Um, They will be joining you with the meal, um, helping you process through it if you need to, giving you some tools to use as you engage in the meal. And really, again, we're we're going to ask you to kind of sit and be in the experience and notice if you're having an emotional experience in the moment and kind of engage in the meal anyway. Um, And that can be really challenging, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and it can also be some of the most beautiful work. Our clients have peers that are in there as well. Um, Everything is really kind of done in group work at the Renfrew Center. And so they're going to be able to get support from their peers or offer support if somebody else needs that, right? So Um, I'm just curious, Ashley, if I, let's say I'm sort of playing the role of the new patient coming into day treatment. And Mm -hmm. let's say I'm sitting down for breakfast for the first time and I'm looking at my plate and I'm thinking the thought I have is I can't do this. How might the staff help me in that moment? Oh, that's such a beautiful question. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that like we understand if you've never been here before, this experience can be extremely overwhelming. So we might likely explain to you what we're going to do here. Um, Like I said, we're going to eat the meal with you, but I might say, Sam, hey, I've noticed that you haven't been able to touch your breakfast. I'm curious what's coming up for you. Mm -hmm. And so one of our tools, we've talked about it before. um, It's called a three-point check. But one of our tools is we might engage in a three-point check. And so it's a mindfulness tool. So I might say, hey, Sam, I'm curious, what are you thinking right now? So Mm -hmm. Sam, can you label some of your thoughts if this is your first meal and treatment? Right. So I I would say uh, my thoughts are... I can't do this. I don't belong here. I want to go home. Um, I'm not sick enough to be here. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would hear that and I would say, wow, I hear those thoughts. And I'm wondering if you're, um, you know, kind of experiencing some anxiety right now. It sounds like a lot of, Mm -hmm. a lot of thoughts are telling you that you don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what are you feeling in your body right now? Right. So I'm, might say, I'm noticing, I feel my heart racing, my palms are sweaty. I feel this lump in my throat. I feel mm-hmm. tense shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have any urges to do anything right now, Sam? Yeah. I have the urge to run out of the dining room yeah. and go right in my car and drive yes, home. Yes. And yeah. drive home. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for labeling all that. I can imagine how much maybe pressure that feels on you right now, but I'm so thankful that you were able to label that. And I'm curious if anyone else has ever felt that way, or if you felt that way on your first day. Mm -hmm. And so then I might ask the rest of the group who might give you some feedback as well, Sam. And then again, I'll thank you for sharing. And I'll ask if you could try to take a bite of your cereal or whatever it is Mm -hmm. is that we might be eating. Right. Right. 
It can be so powerful, I think, to hear from someone else who might say, I was, I had the exact same thoughts and urges two weeks ago. And here I am. And I've made so much progress. And that would be really cool to be able to to talk to people who have already sort of been through Mm -hmm. the experience. I mean, you're exactly right. And and truly that is why like that relational piece is so foundational and fundamental to what we do at Renfrew and to how we do eating disorder treatment in general. Um, because a lot of times um, when working with eating disorders, we often feel like we exist on an island by ourselves and no one understands it. And when we can have that direct support from somebody who actually does get it, yeah. I mean, that can mean the world to us. And it can, like, I might feel heard and connected with and understood for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that that is impactful. I mean, that's life healing. Yeah, yeah, it's very absolutely. Healing. Yeah. So let's say breakfast um, sort of wraps up. Yeah. What, what can you expect next? I figure what time is it by then? Maybe. Maybe 9.30. Okay. Yeah, so we still have the rest like of the that. day in front of us. So yeah, we yeah. have the rest of the day. So what happens after breakfast? Yeah. So then we go often into a group and typically this is a psychoed therapy group, psychoeducational therapy group where we talk about, um, you know, exploring our different emotions. We talk about what are the different emotions that we have. We talk about our thoughts. What are the different thoughts that we have? Can we reappraise or reframe those thoughts? Mm -hmm. Um, We talk about just kind of all of this like emotional um, education, this kind of like cognitive process educational stuff. What do relationships look like? How can we engage in relationships? We talk about family stuff, you know, so we might engage in one of those groups and then we have a break. Um, And it's just a very small break. If somebody needs a snack, they can have a snack. If we need to, you know, step outside and listen to the birds, we can do that. Mm -hmm. And then we come back together and we, engage in one of our experiential groups. And what I mean by that is it's it's kind of not a standard educational group like what I was just talking about. This group is more, um, it could be art, it could be expressive therapies, Creative. it could be... Um, Yes, work. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So we might have an art group. We might have a group on body image or body trauma. We might have a group on nutrition. Um, We might have that multifamily group. And so what I mean by that is we actually invite our clients to invite their support system. So every week the support systems are able to come in and do a group with each other and our clients and we do a lot of educational components for them teaching them how to communicate together teaching each person to advocate for what their needs are um we do a really cool yeah. group where we relate people to different animals and um you know perhaps somebody is mama bear perhaps somebody is um i think a jellyfish is one oh, of the animals right you know, like, Styles. Yeah, we did a, styles. we yeah, did a whole episode on that. We did a whole episode. We did. And by the way, if you're wondering what does art have to do with recovering from an eating disorder, please go listen to our episode with Kyle Congdon all about art therapy and eating yes. disorder recovery yes. um, and all these experiential sort of uh, 
approaches that we have their psychodrama. We have an episode on that as well. If you want to yeah. sort of do a deep dive on those. Yeah. So the experiential work is really critical because it kind of takes us out of the thinking brain. Mm. Um, and it kind of just puts us in that, um, what do I feel in my core and how can I respond to this? Mm-hmm. And, and we can actually get some really beautiful work out of that stuff, yeah. you know? So, um, so that is what we do. That's the next group. And then likely we go into lunch. And so lunch is going to be pretty similar to breakfast. Um, we're going to, our meals are mostly prepared for us, but we're going to be able to go back into the kitchen and kind of, you know, if we're having a salad that day, put the salad dressing on, or if we're having burgers, like put the condiments on, you know, we're going to be able to prepare that. And then we go in the lunchroom together and we, um, we talk about maybe what we're experiencing currently in the moment. Do we, and, and we might label this. So if you're experiencing anxiety, Sam, um, if this is your first day and it's lunch, we've already done breakfast together, but I might ask you on a level of from zero to eight, how high is that anxiety for you right now? Mm-hmm. Probably say a six or a seven. Yeah. yeah. And then I might ask you, and where do you feel that in your body? Mm-hmm. Stomach, yeah. shoulders, throat. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I might ask you, do you have an intention for this meal? Oh, interesting. Right. So um, maybe I would say I want to do, I want to have a little bit more than I did yesterday yeah. at home. Yeah. Okay. If this was my first day, let's say this was my first day. Awesome. Um, yeah. Maybe I just want to take it one step further, maybe have one more bite than I would usually have. Yeah. And so I would thank you again for sharing that. And I would acknowledge like your anxiety is pretty high and you were able to set an intention for this meal. Mm. And that's incredible. And so we would go around the table and, and everybody would kind of answer those questions. Then we would engage in the meal. And again, we're eating with, the clients, you know, we're eating with everyone. And so they're able to kind of see us engage in the same food that everybody else is engaging in. We're carrying conversation, we're talking, you know, and it's not to say that these meals, I mean, these meals can be very challenging. So Frequently, we're checking in with whoever's at the table with us. Um, we're asking about, you know, again, what what their their thoughts are, what they're noticing in their body, what their urges are. Um, and we might talk about, you know, whatever's going on. I remember having some meals in the and it being during the time of the Olympics. So like every day we would check in about like, well, what was your favorite Olympic event to watch yesterday? You know, so we might even yeah. have casual conversation like that. And then we do a checkout. We might ask um, what was a high, what was a low of the meal. And we acknowledge that. Like you're not going to, first of all, you're not going to like everything, but you're definitely not going to love everything. And that's okay. We Mm. can acknowledge that collectively, that um, we might all have different preferences and that's okay too. And so Mm. we'll Mm. check out together and then we'll go back for our final group um, which tends to be, we call them review and process groups. Um, And those are really times where we can come together at the end of the day. We can process the day. We can discuss anything that came up for us that day. 
Um, most of our groups have topics. So there might be a day specifically where we're talking about relationships and processing um, relationally. What did you experience today? You know, things like that. There might be a group that's talking specifically about communication. Um, there might be a group on Fridays where we do weekend planning, you know, mm. and all kind mm-hmm. of talking about all of this because this is, you know, this is really a time and space for our clients to really just share with one another and get things that they need. It's really a time for them to use their voice to advocate for their own needs and ask the questions that they need to ask. So mm-hmm. we call those review and process. Um, and, and they're quite fun. I mean, we can, you know, we can really pull in any kind of resources and, um, use all sorts of stuff for the, the ending group. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of what the day looks like. And then once that is over, typically, um, you know, you're able to leave or you may have a session with your therapist or dietitian right after that. Okay. And so there's still those individual appointments. I'm just wondering how frequently do you meet with your therapist? How frequently yeah. do you meet with your dietitian? What do those individual appointments look like? Yeah. So in day treatment and PHP, you meet with your therapist and your dietitian every week. Okay. And if you have a psychiatrist, it, well, if you're working with the psychiatrist who's on site at Renfrew, then you might meet with them every week as well. Okay. And how long are the sessions about, or does it depend yeah, on the site? They're about an hour, maybe okay. a little less, like 50 minutes to an hour. The dietitian sessions might be half an hour. Um, usually in the beginning though, everything's an hour because we want to make sure that you're getting everything that you need. Um, adolescents, we're also doing sessions with their family members. So we might, they might even have an additional session a week with their family members mm-hmm. um, because we want to make sure that they feel as supported as possible. Also with our adolescents, we might do something that we call pull-out meals where we might have their parents come in for lunch or breakfast and then their therapist or dietitian, instead of um, that particular person eating with the rest of the group, they might eat individually with their parent and their therapist or dietitian just so that the parent can also get some support um, and help in doing this at home. Because once you leave PHP, you know, essentially you, you have dinner at home. And weekends, um, right? And so oh, the yeah, weekends, and weekends yes. you're sort of managing all of the meals as, yes. and it's a good chance to practice, to yes. sort of use the tools that you've learned. Yeah. I'm just curious, what kind of things might you work on with a family who maybe the client's really struggling to eat at home, but maybe they're doing much better while they're in program? How might you work with a family? Yeah, that's a great question. So we will give the family tools and questions that they can ask the family. So for example, you know, I use the three point check. Um, We can definitely teach that to a family member. Mm -hmm. We want to teach the family member that they can hold space for the person that they love that is going through eating disorder treatment. Mm -hmm. The person that they love our client, they don't, they don't have to answer everything perfectly. The family member doesn't necessarily 
know how to, um, you know, recite proper emotional education. But if they can tell um, our client, their loved one, I can hold space for you. You're allowed to be angry in my presence. You're allowed to be happy in my presence. And that's okay. I mean, that's just so Mm -hmm. important, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So we want to empower the family members as well. Um, And so again, if they're showing up, for the multifamily group, they're also gaining tools that way. Um, and then if they're showing up to do this kind of one-on-one meal coaching, they're learning kind of what appropriate meals look like. They're learning the right questions to ask and the and the and the wrong questions to ask too, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, <laughs> we don't want to we don't want to shame anybody in this process. Um, and it's important that um, our clients nourish their bodies, right? Like that's the biggest thing that, that they can take away from that meal experience is they want to get appropriate nourishment. And so, um, so hopefully through all of these avenues, the families are getting tools right. to support themselves and their loved ones. I'm so glad you brought up the caregiver styles. It's, I, you know, it sounds like it's very much about teaching caregivers how to have more of those St. Bernard and dolphin moments. Yes. Can you remind us those one more time, Sam, which again, we do have the episode, but can you remind us? Yeah. So we have a whole episode on this. And one of the first things we do, um, you know, I I worked at the residential level of care. And one of the cool things about all these levels of care is that we use the same treatment model. Yeah. So we're using the same language. And so as you step down, it's all familiar to you and we're all sort of on the same page, but you know, a St. Bernard is really an example of a caregiver or a partner, really anyone who cares about you in your life, Yeah. Um, where they have this sort of calm, um, reassuring, yeah. patient, compassionate presence. You know, you think of that St. Bernard who comes to rescue you out in the snowy wilderness and they're just right there. And they're this yeah. steady rock that you, that is loyal and yeah. loving and yeah. warm. And, you know, you think of a dog, yeah. unconditional love, right? Yes. <laughs> and it's sort of like, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're experiencing, I will always be here. I am always rooting for you no yeah. matter what, through all the ups and downs of recovery, that's a yeah. St. Bernard. Right. And then the dolphin um, is um, another caregiver style that's very helpful where a parent sort of knows they sort of learn taking cues from their child or their partner when to sort of nudge them gently, you know, when to encourage them, but also when to let them lead the way. Yeah. And then also knowing when to, to maybe take charge yeah. And and be the leader in a situation yeah. by modeling healthy emotional expression or modeling a healthy relationship with the body or with food. Just knowing those moments when you would be most helpful and how you can be most helpful. Yeah. And we try to teach loved ones, caregivers, partners how to do that and when to do it. Yeah. And these are skills. And like yeah. anything else, it takes practice and um, it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. But yeah. um, but helping those families have those moments more frequently right. is so important. Yeah. Right. And doing that at home, I mean, having those moments and having those meals, you know, families are likely going to 
say the wrong thing at times and knowing how to back up and apologize and kind of correct and offer a repair or a redo. I mean, those are so helpful too, because messaging and eating disorder world. I mean, we, well, we were talking about this before we even signed on the podcast, Sam, but just the, the fat phobia and the diet messaging. I mean, it's just all around us and it's ingrained in us. So there may be times when we say the wrong thing and we get to back up. There will be times. There will be times. There will be. It's inevitable. Yeah. (laughs) And we get to do redos and, and hopefully, Um, those that are joining us at the Renfrew Center, um, our clients, hopefully they're learning to use their voice too, to also ask for that redo to say like, Hey, I don't think that that didn't land with me well, or mm-hmm. I would like to offer a suggestion here instead of you saying that too, you know? So, well, even if we call these ruptures in relationships, even yeah. if a rupture happened years ago, yeah, you know, maybe something, some, you know, your, your parent or your partner said to you that your eating disorder sort of latched onto. Yeah. And to have that space to talk about those moments in a safe way, it's sort of like, when you said this, here's how it impacted me, but then giving the loved one, the skills, how to actually repair that. Yeah. And to do better. Yeah. It's so beautiful, so powerful when it's like, yes, I messed up and I'm here now. Yeah. You know, yes, I was the kangaroo back then, but now I want to be the St. Bernard and I know how to do it. Yeah. You, you guys have to go back and listen to the caregiver episode. I know I'm trying, I think it was maybe in season one. Um, it was, I think we did it really early on. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of good ones in season one because I think that one was in there. And then just like our treatment model explanation, the UT training with Melanie Smith. I think that was in season one. Yes, all um, about the treatment model. Yeah, all about the treatment model. Like those are super helpful. Um, right. If, if you want to unpack more of what we've been talking about in this episode. But yeah. quickly, I also wanted to say in day treatment, what we also have are added groups that um, our clients can engage in. And what I mean is these are just additional groups that um, typically run like sometime in the afternoon. So you might have somebody from PHP, you might have somebody from IOP in there. Some of these groups might be virtual. So honestly, you might be in group with people across the country, which I think is pretty cool. Mm. Um, So a couple of these specialty groups we have one is trauma and we call these trauma or we call these tracks. We have a trauma track. So anybody that feels like um, that has been a part of their experience or that that is a diagnosable part of their experience, they can join the trauma track, just an additional weekly group for them. We have a substance use track, same, same thing. Anybody that that's been in their background, they can join that. We have a spirituality track and that can change depending on location. Um, meaning, you know, that might be focused on Christianity, that might be focused on Judaism, that can it can be focused on whatever it is that the clients need it to be focused on. So we have that additional track. Then the ones that are virtual that kind of happen nationwide, we have a BIPOC track. And so anyone that is a part of the BIPOC community can join that. And then we also have a SAGE track and SAGE stands for sexuality and gender equality. So anyone that feels a part of that community can join that track. 
So we are trying to provide um, these supplemental groups um, mm-hmm. to be available to all of our clients because we know, well, well, we know that like treatment is not a one size fits all. Like it's, you know, every, everyone has an experience, everyone has a story. And so we want to accommodate the needs of our clients as best as we can. I love that. And so you can just hop on virtually yeah, at once a week and join those groups and have these smaller communities as part of your experience. Yeah. I'm wondering, let's say here I am a patient in day treatment. Let's say I've well, let me ask you this. How long yeah. is day treatment usually? I'm. Oh yeah, that's a great yeah. question. So we work a lot with insurances and day treatment with insurances typically can run anywhere from like four to six weeks. So that might be if you're in day treatment for four weeks, um, you know, you're in four weeks, five days a week, Monday through Friday, like I said, from that eight to two, eight thirty to two thirty time frame. It can be as up to six. I mean, it can be as long as eight. It really, it really is, excuse me, whatever you need. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and whatever, whatever you can work out, you know, accessibility wise with your insurance and things like that. But typically it's four to six weeks. Okay. Um, when we're talking IOP and quickly, I can kind of run through IOP as well, but IOP can run about eight to 10 weeks. It can be shorter okay. if needed or longer if needed. So let's say I'm in day treatment and I am making progress and I'm meeting my treatment goals and how do I know, how does the team know when it's, when we're, when we're ready to move to IOP? Uh, that's a great question. Okay. So you're in PHP. Let's say you've been in PHP for five weeks. Like you said, you're meeting your treatment goals, which could be, um, you are, you're, you know, when you go home for dinner at night or over the weekends, you're engaging in your meals fully, you're processing, you're writing down your thoughts. Even if you don't necessarily enjoy that, you know that your body needs to be nourished. Like you're, you're doing those things. Um, you're perhaps, you know, kind of a side goal. You're working on reappraisals or reframing. So you're working on your cognitive, um, thinking patterns, um, helping yourself reappraise. And what I mean by that is, um, let's say, you know, you have a, a friend that you made plans with and they, um, canceled last minute. And so if we're just kind of in the heat of the yuck, our thought might be, well, I suck. I'm not a good friend. Nobody likes me. Right. Mm, And mm -hmm. so I might ask you to reappraise or reframe that thought. And what you might say is, um, my friend had something else come up, but I am still a good friend. Um, Mm. my friend genuinely had something that she had to go into. And that doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. Does right. that make sense? Like, yeah. Le- well, learning how to think more flexibly, yeah, which yeah. is a skill that's learned yeah. over time. One of the cool things about the UT is, is not only the skill of reappraisal, but really understanding what your core beliefs are that are driving yeah. a lot of yeah. the stories you tell yourself. Yeah. And then once you start identifying that you're walking around holding on to these core beliefs, you start to realize, oh, this is why I keep telling myself the same type of story over and over right. again when this situation right. arises. Right. So, so it's like these skills, but then also this insight of yeah. why you might be stuck in these patterns. You get stuck in these thinking traps. 
Right. And to be able to label it like, okay, that's a thinking trap. I know what it is. Right. So you're, so you're labeling those patterns that you're stuck in. You're labeling, um, behaviors that you might go to when you're emotionally heightened. You're labeling this and perhaps you're kind of walking in a different direction. You can acknowledge that that's where you want to go and you're moving in a different direction, right. which can be so right. helpful. So when you get to that point and, and our clients often feel it, you know, our providers feel it. That's when we say, let's start talking about IOP, intensive outpatient. Right. Um, that's the next step down. And so that's going to be the three day a week for only three hours a day. So typically that is one of the groups that I described, one of the UT groups, which is the psychoeducational group where we're going to learn emotional um, skills, cognitive um, flexibility skills, kind of things like that. So we're going to do that group. We're going to do dinner if you're coming in in the evening or lunch if you're coming in the day. And then we're going to do an experiential group. So we're going to do the body image, the expressive arts, the multifamily group, the nutrition group. And those kind of rotate because we only have three groups, you know, a week in those. Um, So those kind of will rotate for you. Um, So Mm -hmm. someone in IOP will do um, those three hours a day. And they will still meet with their therapist once a week, but they will go down to meeting with their dietitian only once a I'm sorry, once every other week. So twice okay. a month. Yeah. Yeah. And then at that point, if they have a psychiatrist in their outpatient world, we're going to refer them back to their psychiatrist and outpatient. Um, so they'll be meeting with that person. And which brings up, they can also start meeting with their outpatient team as well. The, the perhaps the therapist and the dietitian that referred them. They don't necessarily have to do that because that's those are a lot of meetings, you know, on top of yeah. IOP. But they can start getting back into the groove of seeing their outpatient team. And so IOP, like we were saying earlier, Sam, it's the natural progression, the natural step down from PHP. Um, you know. People are going to, they're, they're going to start experiencing a lot more freedom and less structure. And so really, really, really starting to put into place all of the tools and the skills that they have learned and that they have grown with over the last several months. Um, And then essentially, you know, like I said, anywhere from six to eight weeks with that. um, And then they would likely step into those outpatient groups where it might be, um, you know, a support group, like you're, 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 um, an alumni support group that we might have. And we typically have those locally, but we also have those virtually as well, Sam. I know that you lead yes, one of our alumni I do. groups. I, yeah. I lead the residential support group, which we yeah. have once a month virtually folks from all over the country join. As long as you've been in one of our residential programs, you're welcome to join and yeah. it's free forever. Once you're a Renfrew, um, once you're a Renfrew alum, that's one of the cool things about our alumni services, which I'm fortunately, um, able to participate in quite a bit, um, in my role here at Renfrew. But, um, once you leave Renfrew, you have access to these things Mm -hmm. forever and accessibility Mm -hmm. is such an issue in this culture. And so um, I'm just so proud that we're able to offer these things to to our alums. So free support groups, 
free uh, webinars, free reunions. The reunions mm-hmm. are really cool because everyone sort of comes The reunions are again. so sweet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Workshops and we yeah. get to kind of see how everyone's doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this was so helpful, Ashley. I And I really hope this was helpful for our, our audience because I know there are so many people curious about what would it be like if I did go to an eating disorder program? What can I expect? And hopefully this sort of demystifies the whole process. Yeah, we are, you know, it's not, like I mentioned earlier, it's not a hospital. It's not like we're humans too. We're with you. Um, We're, we're walking you through the process. I mean, truly, you know, the staff that is there, the clinical staff, anybody that's there, we are there to support you. Right. Um, And, and the, the support that you also receive from your peers that are also in the program, um, it's invaluable. I mean, and it is just, it is just so validating to hear that somebody else might be having an experience um, similar to yours, slightly similar to yours, mm-hmm. completely different from yours, but you're all here together. Um, it can right. just be so healing. Yeah. And oh, absolutely. I think, you know, I just want to add also that, you know, we talked a lot about the UT and the stages, but also how individualized things are in treatment, oh, yeah. whether you're yeah. um, someone who is neurodivergent or um, you're, you know, um, you occupy a marginalized identity, like everything is sort of seen through the lens of anti-oppression. We really try to individualize things and make accommodations for folks who who may need accommodations, whether it's neurodivergence or some other, um, you know, some other thing. So I wanted to point that out that yeah. it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. You know, I know yeah. we talked a lot about the different skills and, um, and, and some things about the UT that, um, that we teach, but also we take into account the individual and what makes sense yeah. given the individual's needs. Yeah. So I think that's so important. I just wanted to mention that. I love that you said that. I mean, I just couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more fundamentally at Renfrew. I think um, we do our best to honor um, each individual's experience and, and we are constantly learning and growing. And I think when we, when we recognize if there are blind spots, we work on that. Um, and, and we're not perfect, right? I mean, everybody has blind spots and I think that our heart is to work on that. And our heart is to show up for our clients and to be a place of healing for them. Um, so that, that is truly, I think, fundamentally where we are with, um, our, our treatment as well. I agree. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thanks, Sam. This was awesome. And you all, thanks again for being with us today. We hope that this was helpful. Thank you for listening with us today on All Bodies, All Foods, presented by the Renfrew Center for Eating Disorders. We're looking forward to you joining us next time as we continue these conversations.